It seemed like a good idea at the time. Three days in ultimate seclusion. The flakes that started to fall on your way were hardly worth notice. But now the polar vortex is locked over Canada and, as the drifts creep up to the windows, you feel foolish being miles and miles from any neighbor or route plowed by a road commission. The generator ran out of gas yesterday. But there's plenty of lamp oil and wood for the stove. Surprisingly, your call for help was met with something like joy. An acquaintance has a snowmobile with enough gas for a one-way trip. They're bringing people, food, supplies, beverages, and, if they heard your plea as the last milliamp slipped from your phone, games. That's right, soon you'll be gamers stuck in Snowmageddon. Gamers Stuck in Snowmageddon is a discussion with Northwest Michigan residents about life, the pursuit of happiness, and the four tabletop games they'd like to get stuck with in a fictitious snowpocalypse. I'm your host, Jim Moratsky, and today we're joined by the legendary Kyle Delgado. Kyle, welcome to Snowmageddon. Thank you for having me. It's good to have you here, that's for sure. So uh, my first question in this will always be, uh, how difficult was it for you to choose these games? And uh, what criteria did you use? Um, well, the games that I picked, I started off by looking at a lot of my favorites. I have, I run a website um, about uh, tabletop gaming and I, I seem like every year I, I update my top 100 games that I, I love and because it changes so often. Uh, I took that to start. As I, um, as I went through the games, like my top 10, um, looking at those, I, uh, I had to throw out a couple. Um, though I love them, they, if I'm going to be locked in a place for an unforeseen amount of time um i don't think over the course of playing it three or four times they're gonna they're gonna carry any value anymore so i had to I had to knock those out few of them hold a lot of value um because narrative um the narrative is really rich um it changes all the time um some of them have immense replay value, and those were kind of two features that I was really looking for in the four games that I picked. You mentioned that you like snowshoeing, and I'm just wondering if this scenario of being stuck out in the middle of nowhere during a major snowstorm is something that uh, would apply to you. Would you ever do something like that? Or uh, Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to do that in about two to three weeks now. Oh, okay, cool. We're gonna, I'm going to take a trip up to uh, Bel Air, which is you know, right around the, mm -hmm. the east end of, uh, of Torch Lake. And, um, I'm gonna, <laughs> we're gonna sit in and do a lot of snowshoeing and intermittently play a lot of board games. Um, I might actually take a few of these that I'm going to mention today with us. Okay, super. That's great. Well, let's just drive right in here. Then the, your, your first game is a, uh, uh, at least what I would consider a monster Euro game. I haven't played it, but it's, uh, a 2016 release designed by Uwe Rosenberg and uh, published in the U.S. by Z-Man Games. And that's A Feast for Odin. So uh, why do you hope this comes with you to Snowmageddon? Well, if nothing else, um, if we run out of firewood, we can always uh, throw this in the fire, and that should keep the fire lit for at least <laughs> four to five days. Um, but the game itself is immense. There is 
tons of stuff, cardboard in that box. Um, and when it's on the table, it's a monster. Um, you, you would need quite the, quite the table to set this up. Um, the game board itself is, is covered in worker placement locations where um, you can take your workforce and just basically claim a bunch of resources to fill your longhouse because it's essentially the, the plot of the game. But on the board, there, I, I don't remember the exact number. Probably should have pre <laughs> looked this up. But there's there's uh, 63 uh, or 68, I think, places, worker yeah. placement spots. I, I counted because <laughs> I was looking at that. <laughs> so there's a lot of choices. Um, and that's what really solidified my, uh, my need for this to be in our snowbound house would be this game for that reason. There's just a lot of options. Um, every game's a little bit different with, I think there's over, there's over a hundred different, um, uh, I believe they're called um, occupation cards, where um, it just gives you a little bit of a, an incentive towards how to play your current game. So there's a lot of variation there. There's just so many different ways to tackle this game, and I, I, I've only played it a handful of times now, and every time has felt different, and my strategies have always changed. There's always something new to, uh, to try out, um, so I think I would get a lot of value out of it. So I was surprised hearing that everybody described this as a, as a worker placement game, but it's got a big part of Uwe Rosenberg's kind of signature thing, which is the polyomino uh, organize, spatial organizing of, of things as well. Um, what, what part of that, I mean, is that something that appeals to you in general, or is there uh, another part of it? Is it really a worker placement game? To me, it seems like that that spatial part would be a, a lot a bigger piece of it that uh, you know to get into. The worker placement segment and the to your, the puzzle aspect of the the tile placement, it's I would say it's very much fifty fifty. Um, there's not one feature that outweighs the other. Um, in fact, I think they're they're dependent on each other. Um, the worker placement aspect of the game will provide you the resources needed to claim those tiles in order to place them on the board. Essentially, placement on, the, on, your, on your longhouse or your board um, will, will uh, give you the points needed to win the game. Um, me personally, I, I really latch on to worker placement games in general. That's probably one of my favorite mechanics, um, which I think most of the games I told you are, a lot of them are worker placement games. Uh, but I really struggle, and it just might be how my how my brain works. But I really struggle with um, anything spatially oriented. It's not really in my wheelhouse of skills, so I really struggle with that end of the game. But I enjoy it. I enjoy that aspect. I love the mental workout that it provides. But also, it's paired equally with something that I really really enjoy. So I think the combination between the two between that that mental challenge and something I enjoy together, just it, it makes a perfect marriage. Great. So I'd like to go back to the beginning. Uh, how did you discover tabletop gaming? What, what brought you into this hobby? I recently, um, well, I guess not recently. This was probably about 10 to 15 years ago now. I, uh, I hadn't been playing a lot of games up until that that point. I 
I really, I just, uh, just past my childhood, I never really even thought about gaming. But um, I had a friend that was um, back from, I think, Korea at the time, and he was in the States uh, for a short time uh, for an extended stay in the States, but he didn't want to, he didn't want to get an apartment because he wasn't going to be in, in town for that long. So I ended up crashing on my couch for probably about two months. Uh, and he really didn't have a lot of stuff to do. He didn't have a job or anything. I was just letting him crash for free while he was here and visiting friends and family. I, uh, but he brought, he brought with him a lot of games, um, and he introduced me to a lot of board games. So that's what we kind of did in our free time when I'd come home. He'd already have something set up, and we'd be playing something new and different. Um, a lot of your classics, um, like Ticket to Ride, Dominion, um, Bonanza, like that kind of stuff. He, he introduced me to a lot of those things. And after he left, um, I just missed having something set up for me at the table when I, when I came home after work. So I ended up starting investing some of my money and getting some games. Obviously, I didn't have him to play with at the, anymore, so I had to start looking for other people to introduce these things to so we could, I could find somebody to play with. Um, that became increasingly difficult. Um, one, finding a location to do it. We'd argue back and forth with, where should we go? Um, so I, uh, <laughs> I ended up um, starting up a, a weekly uh, game night, as it were, at, uh, at um, Seven Monks where we'd just shelter ourselves in the back table. I'd bring like three or four games that I had. Those were really the only games I had, and I'd, we'd play all of them, or like one of them sp specifically. But that's kind of where I got started with games, and it just kind of snowballed from there. Mm -hmm. So you have quite an ex extensive collection of games. How, what does collecting or gathering games together mean to you? What, why, did, why did you keep going after those first few games? Beyond the first few games, I uh, I found a lot of things that I enjoyed with games. Um, I like the I like the mental exercise, um, but it just I have like a personality where I just love new things. <laughs> so it it ended up just turning into a hobby of just collecting games, and I enjoyed the playing something new and and uh, testing out my skills as far, as far as something new. Um, and that really just kind of fed into itself. And then it just, again, started snowballing and I started getting more and more and more different things. Um, and I just loved the aspect of gaming and, and like all the ideas that they were bringing into the hobby. So then you, you took that group that you kind of started informally and actually put a name on it, Traverse City Board Gamers and, and, you know, created a identity for it and a social media presence and all that kind of thing. What, what precipitated that? Uh, after we started the the weekly game nights at um, Seven Monks, it some of the members were very infrequent, and it was harder to get everyone to come back more often. And there were a lot of the friends that were the more active people that would come to this this weekly night um, were not well. One, they they a lot of them left. They all kind of moved away from Traverse City, so it was it was becoming more challenging to get people like coming. So I decided to kind of reach out beyond just my, my smaller friend circle and then kind of go out from there. Uh, the only way I knew how to do that was not just me myself doing that and setting up events. Uh, I figured if it was something that was 
um, like a, a group or an organization, it might be a little more friendly to people who are not familiar with me personally. Um, and I could get new gamers and people who are enthusiastic about the hobby as I was um, to come to um, this gathering. Um, and I had no, I had no qualms about um, having new people at the table and meeting new people that enjoyed games. That's great. So you have seem you seem to have friends around the world. Uh, do you do much traveling yourself? Uh, not as much as I would like. Um, a lot of with all of this going on with the. Um, with the board game group, and then also with the our, the new location that we have, and my job, uh, I find that <laughs> my uh, my traveling suffers slightly. Um, even before all this, I I didn't really travel a lot. Um, I'm kind of I hate saying I am a little cheap. <laughs> and then I look at a lot of the costs of travel, and uh, it kind of scares me a little bit because <laughs> if something should happen, then I don't know. Yeah, so I, I'm. Uh, I'm a little careful as far as that goes. My uh, travel has been isolated to Canada trips and maybe even the Upper Peninsula. Um, that's about it. <laughs> well, let's uh, travel virtually to Tuscany. Uh, your second game is one that I've heard you describe as a favorite. It's a 2013 release. Though it's had a ton of expansions and updates, so now it's quite different from where it started. Um, it was designed by Jamie Stegmeyer and published by his own company, Stonemeyer Games, and this is Viticulture. Uh, I'm not surprised you'd want to take this to Snowmageddon. Yes, um, this is my favorite game. Um, it's it's a, a source material. Winemaking is something I've always um, been interested in, passionate about, um, like drinking it. <laughs> um but uh, the whole aesthetic of the game—it's a beautiful game. I love the, I love the artwork on it. Um, the it is a worker placement game, so I love that aspect of it. Um, there are a, just a, a wide assortment of different cards um, in the game that provide different um, different mechanisms in the game that'll give you a different feel every time. Uh, it there's. There's enough randomness in the game where I really enjoy that somebody who just starts to play for the first time is still very competitive. If they get the right kind of card set, they really can keep up with players who are more experienced with the game. So I like that aspect of it as well. Uh, and plus, it's it's very simple to introduce to new players um, equally. Um, yeah, so I really, I really, really enjoy this game a lot. So... This game seems to me to integrate the theme really well. I mean, I know it's simplified, but I I feel like you are running a, a, a winery as you are playing it along. And uh, A Feast for Odin, I don't know, do you feel like a Viking while you're playing it? But how important is, is theme to you uh, with the games that, that you pick? Theme is probably one of my well, actually, it is one of the most important aspects of um, getting a game, in my opinion. Um, theme is very important to me. It's what draws people into the game. It's that relatable aspect of a game um, that drives people to purchase these games. I think without it, it just it just seems more like a task than it does a fun experience. Um, so it's it's immensely important for me to actually be able to relate to the source material. Great. So your day job is in uh, retail. Um, what what are the challenges of 
working day to day in, in retail and uh, what sort of perspective does that give you on humanity? People nice out there or not nice or how's that work? Uh, <laughs> there's, there's, um, I mean, retail is retail. I mean, you're dealing with the public. Um, it's given me a lot of skills as far as, um, dealing, um, running the board game group. Um, as far as, um, my outlook on humanity, um, in the retail market, uh, with my experience in the retail market, um, it gives me slight hope. <laughs> Um, finally some hope out there. That's great. (laughs) Most people, um, most people are going through the same, uh, hardships and, uh, problems and as everyone else is. So uh, you see a lot of, uh, trends in the retail market that you would see, you know, elsewhere. Um, so it, it, at least it gives you some comfort to know that other people are going through the same things you are. Um, so you get a little bit of insight on that. So yeah, I I enjoy it for that, I guess. (laughs) So you've, you've said that you don't have a lot of time, but are there any other groups or communities that you pers- participate in around town here in addition to tabletop gaming? You know, I haven't really done any um, community groups at all. Um, about the only thing that I, I kind of try to keep my eye on, um, finger to the pulse kind of, as it were, is um, any kind of any kind of classes or um small get-togethers, uh, so I try to keep up with that. Um, just recently, I went to, there was, uh, there were in, speaking of Bel Air, there, uh, there was a class on podcasting <laughs> that I went to um, just as an interest of, of just learning something new and just getting more information. I'm, I'm a constant learner. I just love that, just acquiring new skills. Um, so I, uh, I, I do that quite a bit. Um, other community and groups, I really don't keep up with a lot of stuff other than that. So you, you live out at the commons. Um, we've talked here where I work a little bit about intentional communities. And I was wondering if you would consider that an intentional community and, uh, and just kind of what's your perspective on being in a space like that? Are there services there that, uh, that you can use that, uh, make it a place where you don't have to get too far out of, or, um, you know, how's that going? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They are, the the commons are um, trying to be that kind of place where um, anyone who lives there can just go downstairs to the main floor, which is a bunch of uh, retail locations. They're trying to make it so it's a a one-stop shop where you can go there and do all your shopping. Um, I think they're getting there. there is a like a general store down there, and I I use that constantly. Um, and there's other a lot of other retail spots um, down there, and a lot of uh, places to eat as well. So I I do spend a lot of my money um, at that at the Commons. As far as um, as far as community, um, I, that's one thing I wish they would do more of. Um, I don't think they do a lot of like organizational meetings or anything of that nature as much as I wish they would. Um, that isn't to say that I don't know a lot of the people that I live around. Um, I do. In fact, a lot of the people that are a part of the game group, I can think of, well, one, <laughs> one person in the game group actually does live with me in the commons. Um, I give a ride to quite a bit and we just carpool just back and forth a lot. Um, 
but I, I wish they did um, some more get-togethers, maybe some um, commons, you know, news or just uh, uh, problems with the commons or just like meetings on that would be would be nice to have more of a sense of community. And then uh, speaking of building intentional communities, you just launched Tabletop Underground, a, a downtown Traverse City destination for people that want to play tabletop games. Um, what's been the reaction to that in the, in the community and, and how's that going? I, I think the, the, the reaction has been overly um, positive. I, uh, overly positive. That's, that's good. I, <laughs> I, I feel overly positive about it. It's a great spot. Yeah. Um, the majority of people that I've talked to have really, um, really appreciated what, what, what this has turned into with the board game group. So, um, I, it's, it's been motivating me to push farther and faster and harder. Um, so it's given me kind of like affirming, uh, affirming that, um, all my work that I put into it is, is worth it. Um, people outside of our, our, the, the Traverse City board gamers group, um, have also been very, very appreciative and supportive, uh, which has equally been, um, affirming to me. Um, so I, I think the I think the reaction of what we're doing here with the tabletop underground has been positive. Super. What uh, I mean, what what do you see in the in the future for that? We have a lot of plans. <laughs> um, right now, the, what we're doing is is really just kind of the skeletal structure of what we want to do with the place. Um, it's kind of just the bare bones. Um, we, we wanted to have a space where we could play games, but we can also facilitate an experience of gaming. Um, it was something that we always did with the, with the board game group that I, I wanted to, I wanted people to come in, feel welcome, not have to worry too much about rule books. Like there was always people on hand to teach the games and I wanted it to be a seamless transition. So I kind of brought that into the whole experience um, with Tabletop Underground. Um, where we want to go with that structure is moving more towards a, an experience where not only is it is it very, is it very supportive for uh, gaming, but then also or just feeling comfortable. Um, that includes um, a full, you know, a full uh, food and drink menu. Um, something where you can come in, play a game, not have to leave because you're hungry. Um, you want something a little more, you know, of substance other than just snacks and you know, pop and tea. Um, so we uh, we want to move towards a full kitchen. Uh, other things we want to do is and. It's something that I thought I thought would be an issue, but it, it's proving that a lot of people would like this with gaming. Is um, maybe just uh, a beer and wine menu would be nice because um, a lot of people do enjoy, you know, an adult beverage when they're <laughs> when they're playing games. It, it does help in a social situation. Um, so it is something that that is down the road uh, and something that we want to aspire to. Also, with um, the space too, is we also want to start pushing towards and this is probably a little more immediate is um a retail side of things um somewhere where you can come in try the game see if you like it and if you do we might have a copy or we can get a copy um of that game so you can you can play it at home or hey just bring it in and play it um 
at the location. So the Horizon Books space is opening up, and can you envision three floors of tabletop gaming? <laughs> I mean, I could envision <laughs> such a thing. Um, whether the community wants such right. a thing, I'm not actually sure. Um, it's funny you brought that up because we were talking about um, <laughs> the possibilities of having three floors. We actually planned out a gaming space, a retail space, and then um, um, a private uh, gaming space up on the top floor. We had a whole had a whole scenario painted up where we could uh, we could do something like that. Also, we even talked about pairing up with other local businesses to to make it like a like a mecca of nerddom. <laughs> Sounds great. So your third game um, is a campaign game and one that also made my list for Snowmageddon, although I haven't played it yet. The uh, oh. It's a 2017 release designed by Ryan Lauckett and uh, published by Red Raven Games titled Near and Far. Uh, so I know you're a fan of Ryan Lauckett, but why would you choose this one of all of his great designs? It's true. I do enjoy really, I really can't find a game of his I dislike um yeah i can't um but this is by far of his of his games as he put out this is my favorite um and the reason i picked it for this list was for that narrative aspect um we talked about theme a little bit um and how important it is to game and this is just oozing theme i mean the whole narrative is is immense of what he put into it um and his world building that he does in all of his games um it's impressive. Um, while you're playing it, there's a there's an entire storyline um, from front to front to back um, that you're going through, and I think um, over the course of you know weeks of playing it, um, you get a lot out of it. And even after you're done, because you you carry you carry that whole storyline uh, through with one character um, to kind of rinse and repeat you just start over with a new character and you get an entirely different story arc um i know you're following the same maps every game but you also can take you can go to different locations and get different story pieces so you can get more of a um more of an outlook on how the entire world is painted um just by going through it multiple times um not to mention just the gameplay itself very simple very easy to you know pick up um and the artwork is just beautiful to look at. If nothing else, it just looks great on the table. So what do you think society in general thinks of tabletop gaming? Seems like we're in kind of a transition period at this point right now. But I think it's hard to actually know exactly what people think of it. Um, but I think I think people are really looking for getting back a little bit of humanity. And I think board games are posed like as that, that entry point um, to getting back to that. I mean, we're so wrapped up in our technology as we speak into it, <laughs> um, whether it be, you know, YouTube or, you know, social media, Facebook, Instagram, um, uh, the amount of different um, shopping that you can do online. Everyone's so wrapped up into tech, their phones personally. Um, they have it, you know, right in front of them all the time. So I think that connection between, you know, people that you see is is kind of lost in that. 
although one might argue maybe social media is that connection now, but um, I think that that personal interaction is, is slightly lost and maybe desired a little bit. And I think that's why people are starting to revert back, especially generations that knew a little bit of the world before that, before all the tech came into it. So I think with, um, you know, uh, anywhere from, geez, anywhere from 50 to 30 um, in that 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 age range, I think they desire that a little more. So even like the, even like the younger members in our group, they, which who didn't know anything before all this technology started coming in with the, with the invention of the internet. Um, they even, they even find some value in it and they enjoy playing the games. So I think, it, I think it's, um, just, just that, um, just that desire to reconnect. And I think that's, what's driving the industry right now. Is that the demographic that you get coming into Tabletop Underground? I'm familiar with the Traverse City board gamers, but every time I've been in there into Tabletop Underground lately, there's been folks I've not seen before. So who are those people that are coming in there? What what are they after? Uh, a lot of people that are stopping in are coming. How they found out about it has been kind of a, a mixture of people. Um, a lot of people that are coming in have found out either through the various um, – uh, media that we've gotten, uh, whether it be, you know, the news uh, on TV. A lot of people have found out through print. I mean, our local paper has put out an article. Even the, the Express just did a, um, just did a piece on, uh, on us um, that's going to be in the next Express. I think it's coming out on Saturday, I think. Um, so a lot of people have come in through that. Um, but a lot, of the, um, a lot of the members, to be honest, are still coming in because of those initial social media ties that we and all the work we did um, with uh, the Traverse City board gamers, like our, our meetup.com page. Um, we still get a lot of people in from that. That's a lot of the people that have showed up. Um, just people that uh, have seen random posts that we make and events that we set up on on the Traverse City board gamers uh, Facebook page. We see a lot of that. Um, so it's kind of a mixture of people. Um, as far as the people that do come in and why they've stopped in, a lot of people are just looking for something new, something different downtown, and they hear about what we're doing, and it, it is something that they're not familiar with or different. So they come in not knowing what to expect. Um, so that's that's kind of that pioneer aspect of, of people coming in that I it's it's been fun to watch, and that's what's bringing them in a little bit too. So before we started here, we talked a little bit about uh, you trying to design a gaming space that is comfortable for folks in that, in that, in, in at tabletop underground. But I'm kind of curious to know what, like for you, what's the main ingredient for your favorite experience while gaming? Is it the aesthetics or the winning the game or tell me a little bit about what makes for you a good game session? For me personally, um, and what I tried to do with the game group is it's really about, and the one thing, unfortunately, it's the one thing I really, I have a harder time controlling is the people at the table. Um, that's the one aspect of every game that's the most enjoyable, the most memorable, um, that, um, and obviously I can't control that, but, um, I really, I really try to foster um, a more social um, group and trying to do everything I can to make sure that that's, that's, um, that's enjoyable for everyone at the table. Um, 
so yeah, that's, I mean, that is for me the most important aspect of the game is I, I really enjoy the interaction between the people at the table. Have you ever tried designing a game yourself? Yes, I have. <laughs> um, the game I designed was called, uh, is called, is called, um, uh, wow, I forgot the name of the game. It's been a while since I actually picked it up and, and played it. I've gotten so much work I've got on the side with everything. Um, junk food, that's it. I, uh, um, it's a game about um, you got, uh, the players have gotten captured um, by monsters to participate in a, a food competition. Um, and the winner of the food competition will be set free and the other three remaining will remain caps or cap captive by the uh, monsters that, that, um, that captain, <laughs> captive them. Um, but the game itself is, um, you, uh, you're acquiring, uh, ingredients that, um, that you then have to cook for them, uh, given the cookbook that they provided you. Um, the kind of the interesting aspect of the game and is that a lot of the ingredients are just what they have on hand. Um, so you're not actually cooking with actual ingredients. Sometimes it's a rubber chicken or um, a dog toy, uh, something of that nature, just things you wouldn't normally cook with, uh, they actually have in their kitchen. So you have to just work with what you have. So you have to stand some other you know, junk ingredients, junk food, um, and with your, your other food and then serve it to them as, um, as well as you can. Um, the more, uh, and you're actually, um, you're actually provided points based off of how well you time everything in your cooking. And when you add things, if you mistime things, the, you get punished with not negative points, but just lack of points. So your dish might only be worth, you know, two points if you time it poorly, but if you time it perfectly, you might be worth 10 points. Plus, where you who you actually serve that dish to matters as well. So you get bonus points if you serve, you know, certain dishes to certain monsters. There's other kind of various aspects of scoring that will just provide a more enjoyable experience and more challenging experience. I got to play a prototype of that, and uh, I hope you get back to it someday. It's sitting in the closet of Tabletop Underground right now, and I'm really hoping that somebody will uh, will provide a, a little bit of insight on it because it is in its final. I, I have it in its final end result right now. It's I, it's only going to need tweaks right now, but I think the gameplay is solid because I, I have played it a lot on my own, and it's actually at a point where I'm I'm happy with it. Um, so I'm hoping some people will uh, will step up and give it a try. Uh, so your last game uh, has proven to be amazingly popular. It's a uh, 2016 released, designed by Jacob Frixelius and published by Stronghold Games in the U.S., and that's Terraforming Mars. Why are you bringing this to Snowmageddon? I really had... This was the fourth game on my list. Uh, the first three were pretty quick. Um, this was the fourth game on my list, and I had uh, I was going between probably a good three other titles. But I, I settled on this one uh, merely for that stack of cards that they provide. That's just like a tower on the table, especially if you have them sleeved. <laughs> um, it just provides so much replayability. Um, at any one point of game, you're only ever going to probably play, I don't know, maybe 20 cards out of, you know, maybe 
I can't know. I don't know the exact number, but at least of these 200 cards, you're maybe, maybe you're going to play 20 of those cards. And each one of those cards provides some kind of uh, engine that you're going to be building towards the end game, which is terraforming Mars with um, oceans, um, oxygen, and heat. You want to bring those all up to livable standards. With that amount of replayability, I figure if I'm gonna have if I'm gonna have a limited amount of games and a, 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 an infinite amount of time, if 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 things are really bad, um, I think this would provide enough replay value for me to get a lot of plays out of it and not get bored with it. I mean, I've played this, gosh, I've probably played this at least two, three dozen times now. Um, more if you count all the cell phone plays that I've I've logged in the last uh, 48 hours because I just noticed they uh, they finished the um, the app for it so I and I think in the last two days I've probably played it four times <laughs> um, it just never gets boring to me um, I just I really I really like and appreciate this game how long can you go without playing a game uh, it Every day, it seems like I can go less and less and less. I know that probably sounds like an addiction at that point, and it might be. I'm not not disregarding the fact that I might be addicted to games. Um, it seems if I go about a week, I get kind of an itch for it. Um, but I, I never really seem to go that long. It's only when I'm ever on, you know, a family vacation or you know, out and about where you know I'm with somebody who. It's not their favorite thing. Then I don't have any problem, it, you know, because I enjoy people's company, company. So I really, I don't need to play games. But it seems after about, uh, maybe I'd say about 48 hours and then I need to play something else. <laughs> the one thing that I, um, the one thing I noticed too that makes it even worse though is if I'm around and I see people playing games, I really love seeing people and enjoy watching them interact with each other and that aspect of it's just exhilarating for me but i think it drives my desire to play more if i'm watching other people enjoy games then i'm like oh i want to do that thing too <laughs> so another testament to your love of the social aspect of the game is you you created a, a giant version of carcassonne what made you do that and uh, and when do you get to pull that out we yeah we um in the board game group, we always, we always kind of had a, what's at the end of summer? Labor Day, right? Is that the end of summer? <laughs> yes. We always had a, <laughs> we always had a uh, a Labor Day kind of get together. Um, what's it like? You know, we we just do it like uh, bring a bunch of food and drinks, and we just didn't go out to the park and just enjoy each other's company, not necessarily gaming. Um, but there's always someone that would just bring games, and we'd always you know play it on you know, whatever surface we had. Um, but there was a desire um, to play games. So I thought, okay, um, games are terrible outside. <laughs> Most of them are. I mean, cards are light, you know, chits and bits. They fly all over the place. If there's a gust of wind, it's terrible. So I was trying to think of a game that I could make into a huge, you know, thing and be able to play it outside. Um, plus, if you can play it standing up and walking around, I think that would be enjoyable. Um, so I was at while I was looking online at some ideas, I saw a lot of people doing, you know, Yahtzee and things of that nature, just making these giant, you know, two foot blocks of dice and with 
like basically ten like five gallon buckets and just dumping them on the on the floor on the ground. Um, that wasn't something that completely interests me. I mean, I can only play Yahtzee so much before I'm just bored with it. <laughs> There's just nothing there. Um, so I was trying to think of something a little more outside the box. Um, so my initial thought was, what's approachable and um, easy for almost anyone to grasp onto? So I was going through the list of um, uh, what we call um, entry gateway games. Um, two of them that popped up immediately was Ticket to Ride and Carcassonne. Um, the Ticket to Ride, I just didn't, I didn't know how I was going to make a board a giant board and then still have it be easily movable. Um, then I moved on to Carcassonne and it seemed a little more reasonable. I mean, you build the board, so it comes in all pieces. So it was easy to make each little piece. Um, so we, I ended up at that point, I ended up settling on Carcassonne and then getting just giant, sheets like four by eight sheets of of um plywood and then just cutting them into sections um my initial thought was to make uh uh two by two like two by two feet of of boards and then i um realized there's 72 tiles in this game yeah and then i realized the amount of weight that that would be um i it we'll get into the weight in a minute but um i realized the weight that that would be so I, i sized it in half so i was like oh no 12 by 12 is fine. <laughs> so I did 12 by 12 um, pieces. Um, uh, and then I wanted it to be pretty resilient to the weather just in case it starts to rain. So I decided to, um, which I, I decided to get uh, treated lumber, <laughs> which if anyone who knows any kind of construction, it's, um, it makes it, it heavier. a little bit of weight, yeah. <laughs> so that made it even worse. Um, and then, um, so the, I was going to lacquer them as well, but then I realized that would make it even like heavier. So I, I think I'm going to step away from that. But um, I hand-painted everything. I just basically took the, the board game itself and just copied every tile onto these, these giant pieces, just hand-painted everything. Uh, and then after I got done with that, I noticed it was just, it was just stacks of tiles. Um, so I decided to make a box. So I proceeded to make a giant it looks it looks terrible coming out into public because it looks like a weapons crate (laughs) and just like pulling this weapons crate out of out of the back of my car um but i decided to make this you know 200 pound crate for all these tiles which the the tiles themselves are not light anyway so i need i can't do it by myself anymore i need like two people if not three people to four people to carry this thing now it's it's pretty bad but once it gets out like we brought it out that first labor day weekend and um there was a lot of pictures and everyone really really loved the play um and everything fits in the box like all the tiles and all the like because i made i didn't make actual meeples but i made um i took like i just chopped off some ends of a two by four and then painted them the color so i'm like that's fine for right now i don't need anything more than that um but uh, everything fits in the box really nicely and it's, it's been kind of a hit. Um, and people are now, my problem now is people are asking me to make other stuff. Um, but I, I would need a full on tool shed for these full games plus toting them is a big pain. So I don't, I don't know if I'm going to do something else, but I do have a couple ideas of some things I could do. Competence is a burden. You're uh, must be tough for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So what what do you see next in the world of tabletop gaming? What uh, what's what are you have you seen any trends or anything that you are looking forward to or any new games that you'd like to check out sometime? Uh, some trends that I'm starting to see kind of popping up. Uh, I know um, legacy style games have been a big thing for quite a while. They're slow to come out because they're a, a just a monster to develop um, and a lot of pre planning. I can't even can't even think of how much that would take. But um, legacy style games are kind of like one and done style games where you um, you rip up cards. You do you know every play will affect your next play. And then once you're done with all those plays, you've got the entire narrative, the entire story. Um, a lot of them will say you can play that last game a few times if you want. But for the most part, legacy style games are usually you're done. Once you're done, you're done. Just You can toss it. Um, I kind of see that pushing forward a little bit more, but I kind of think it's hit its peak. I don't think, I don't, I, I don't know if it's going to go beyond that. There is one aspect that I'm starting to notice though, is, and I think it's going to start trending a little harder this year. Um, I'm, I'm hoping is kind of escape room style games. Um, escape room, escape rooms themselves are, can be a little pricey. Um, I think they're usually, I can't think of anything that's under $50 a person. But, I mean, it's a full-on experience. But a lot of I'm seeing a lot more games coming out of that kind of an experience in a box um, where they, you know, you open up the box and you can play through the entire game. Um, and it's an escape room style where you have a certain amount of time, you have a certain amount of resources, and you have to solve these puzzles. Um, so that I'm starting to see that as being more of a trend. Um, that would be that would be a cool aspect. I love those games quite a bit. Um other trends, I don't, I don't really see anything beyond that that I can think of. Um, I like to think that I keep my finger on the pulse, but I don't, <laughs> I don't know why I can't, I can't foresee any other trends other than those two. What do you think of uh, this integration of technology with with tabletop games? More that's happening these days. Um, I think it's, I think it's good. Um, there are a lot of aspects to technology you can add into games that. Um, would be are helpful. I can think of one game um, that I have that I really, really enjoy that I um, you can't play without technology, which is, um, and you've played it. I, um, I introduced you to this game, which is Chronicles of Crime. It's an app-driven game where, I mean, you can't play it without it. I mean, the app will run you through the entire scenario. Um, the only thing the actual game does, the board game does, is it provides you with the cards and the images um, and they have QR codes and everything. You just scan it. Um, and then the, the app will work you through the story. Um, I, <laughs> it's almost, uh, with technology being introduced, I think it's almost on a knife's edge, though. I think you can go either way pretty quickly, um, and it can go bad very quickly. Um, I don't want too much technology to be injected into the entire experience because then I feel like it's just going to start reverting back into just being a video game at that point. It's not a board game anymore, so I think it's kind of a fine line you have to walk. Um, so I do enjoy the um, the opportunity it provides, but um, it scares me a little bit too. That I don't want I don't want tech too much tech into my board games because then it kind of it also the other part of it it, it kind of takes some people out of the entire experience too. Okay, so my last formal question. Uh, the snowmobile had to cross a river on its way 
and it hit the far bank, and three of your games bounced out into the river and were washed downstream. So as you unpack, which of your four games are you hoping is still there? So I can only keep one. Oh, dear. That's a tougher one. Um, can I ask a, a secondary question? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Um, will... So these games are just lost. I'll never have them back. Okay. Uh, you will get back to civilization eventually, though. Okay. So you can right. get... Um, We're not talking for forever. Yeah. Um, merely because I can't replace everything in the box, um, I would have to say Viticulture. Um, I was initially one of the people who bought like the first like print run of this. Um, in fact, one of the copies, uh, not the expansion, but the base game, I kickstarted. So there's a lot of Kickstarter exclusives and a lot of things like expansions in the box that they don't print anymore, and I do enjoy a lot of those things. Um, so I can't get those back. The other, the other three copies, yeah, I can. It's just a thing. I can, I, I can rebuy it, and it's fine. Um, the other aspect of that too is that that is my favorite game, um, and I've kind of become overly attached to that game. It's kind of one of my babies so i would i would be i'd be very sad if i would lose that um in any kind of calamity it would be very traumatic for me <laughs> okay well that's good i i i agree with your choice there that's a good one okay <laughs> so if anybody wants to find you out on the interwebs um how would they do that well i mean you can find us uh, in a lot of different places um uh, meetup.com if you just look up uh, Traverse City Board Gamers um, that we post all of our meetups um, there um, social media you can find us um, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter um, with the Traverse City Board Gamers um, page um, you can find us on Tabletop Underground on all three of those social media sites as well on the webs, uh, websites uh, we have for the Traverse City Board Gamers is TraverseCityBoardGamers.com. We post a lot of um, uh, articles um, that we write. Also, we're gonna we're starting up a YouTube channel um, that I'm gonna start. Actually, I'm gonna do that later today. We'll be posting our first video on there um, this afternoon, um, which will be attached to our our Traverse City Board Gamers uh, website. Also, with uh, we have a well, we're going to hopefully be functional in a little bit, but we're gonna we have a, a tabletop underground tc.com. Uh, that'll be our website for tabletop underground there. What's gonna be on the YouTube channel? Just to throw in another question here. Yeah, uh, the YouTube channel right now, um, I have a lot of different ideas of what I want to do with it. Um, initially, I was doing a lot of uh, a lot of articles, but with um, I find that I, I have a harder time writing quickly um, as opposed to just recording something and editing it. It just takes more time for me. Um, I typically overanalyze everything I write, um, and then it comes out being, um, you know, two weeks later when I get my final product that I'm actually happy with. Um, it's something I don't wish I wish I could be a little quicker at, but it just it's just who I am. Um, so. What we're planning to do with the with the YouTube channel um, is one. I would love to keep everyone up to date on 
everything that's coming into the store. So that's the um, the new thing that the new video that we just posted is a brand new game that we I just got in. So we did an entire unboxing um, an unboxing video um, with that. But then also I want people to be um, fluent with whatever's coming in. The other thing that we want to do as well with um, the the YouTube channel is we also want to give. Um, all our members of, you know, Traverse City Board Gamers and also the people that stop into Tabletop Underground, a, an update of everything that's happening. And I want to do it in video format. It's easy, it's easily um, digestible. I mean, you can just watch it and I, I'm hoping to be five minutes, maybe 10. Um, so a shorter video um, of just updates of, you know, what are we playing? Um, what's, uh, what's some new events coming in? What are some games that I'm playing that I'm really liking? Um, just various, just news, quick news bites of everything that's going on with the game group and then with Tabletop Underground. Um, I kind of want to do some reviews, but I think the, the, the internet's like overly saturated with, with reviews, so I'm less excited about doing that. But it might be something that we go down um, eventually. Great. Well, Kyle Delgado, thank you very much for being here in Snowmageddon. You got it. It's a pleasure being snowbound with you. <laughs> well, that's it for this episode of Gamers Stuck in Snowmageddon. Thanks again to Kyle for being a good sport. This podcast was recorded at the studios of Traverse Area Community Media in Traverse City, which are available to everyone. So find out more at tacm.tv. Uh, this nice music was provided by Blue Dot Sessions. This episode is sponsored by Tabletop Underground, a place for tabletop gaming in downtown Traverse City. Find out more at tabletopundergroundtc.com. Uh, look for more episodes of this podcast at anchor.fm slash game in snow. If you have comments about this show or want to suggest or be a guest, please email me at gameinsnow at gmail.com. I'm Jim Moratsky. Thanks a lot for listening. Thank you.